All right, well, it's great to have all of you with us today at our campuses or if you're watching this message online. We are in the fourth week of a series called Hooked, which is different than Hook Up. We live in a culture right now that many are defining as the Hook Up culture, and it's destroying true intimacy and relationships. Fortunately, more and more young people that I talk to are starting to realize how empty the Hook Up culture really is. They want something more than just a one night stand. They want something more than just physical pleasure. They actually want emotional connection and commitment as well. But the problem is, when you spend your dating years hooking up and breaking up, there's a carryover into marriage. That's why more and more people are getting hooked and then unhooked, which is the title of today's message. Right after Sarah and I were married, we took our honeymoon to the Mayan Riviera in Mexico. And every day we just sat on the beach and we swam and we read and we went for walks with each other. The only decision I had to make was swimsuit or Speedo. And since I'm not European, that was a no-brainer for me. I mean, it's amazing how good marriage is when all you do is sit and relax. It's amazing how easy marriage is when you take stress out of the equation. On the plane ride home, Sarah said, we need to do a trip like this every year. That was 15 years ago. We haven't been anywhere like it since. It's because when we got home, we moved into a house, and we had fixer-upper projects to do, and then both of us pursued a master's degree. Then after that, we had our first kid. I saw a statistic the other day that said that marital satisfaction drops by 42% when you have your first child. Now, being a dad has been the highlight of my life, but that statistic did not surprise me. The first three months after our oldest son, Micah, was born were easily some of the hardest on our marriage. Sarah was sleep-deprived and dealing with postpartum emotions. Being a new mom brought out fears and anxieties and responsibilities. I was working full-time at the time and going to seminary as well. In fact, at one point, I had a two-week intensive class, which meant that I went to school all day, and then afterwards, I would go to work, and then I'd come home from work at about 10 or 11 o'clock at night to a wife who had been trying to grab 20-minute naps all day and deal with a one-month colky baby. It was a far cry from the beach. These days, Sarah and I still have some marital stressors. They are 11, 9, 7, and 5 years old. In fact, a couple years ago, Sarah and I were kind of planning something after the kids went to bed, and so Sarah had made some chocolate-covered strawberries, and I lit some candles. It was all very romantic. When all of a sudden, my then 4-year-old daughter, Isabel, came down, And she goes, Daddy, I can't sleep. I'm scared. I said, well, I'll pray for you. I prayed the shortest, fastest prayer God has ever heard in his life. (laughs) Lord, I pray for Isabel that she'd be able to sleep. She wouldn't be scared. Amen. All right, sweetie, go back upstairs to your room and don't get out again or you're really going to be scared. (laughs) But a few minutes later, I heard her calling out to me, so I went in to tuck her in. And as I was doing that, I heard our six-year-old son, Hudson, calling out to me. and, And Jasper was just two years old at the time, and so he was crying And so I yelled downstairs to Sarah for reinforcements. And the way that our hallway upstairs is set up is it's kind of a small semicircular hallway, and then the bedrooms are off of that. And so at one point, I was leaving Micah's room to get to Isabel's room, and Sarah was leaving Jasper's room to get to Hudson's room, and we must have crisscrossed each other two or three times that night. At one point, I gave her a high five as we passed in the hallway. That was the extent of our physical intimacy for the evening. But here's my point. Marriage is relatively easy when you take stress out of the equation. But then you add kids, you add a blended family situation, you add in-laws or an aging parent that you need to take care of, you add a job, school, conflict, bills, budgets, fixer-upper projects around the house, 
or just the emotional ups and downs that we all go through, and pretty soon you're going to realize we're not on the beach anymore. And that's where some of us find ourselves today. You're not on the beach anymore. You want to have a great marriage, but lately it just feels like you're not connecting with each other like you used to. I got an email from a woman a while back, and she said, you know, I don't know when this happened or how this happened, but my husband and I, we've just started to drift apart. And I just don't know how we kind of come back to one another. Or maybe there's been a lot of arguing in your house lately. A lot of conflict, a lot of going to bed angry with one another. And when a spouse, or when a couple goes to bed angry with one another, what position do they lie in the bed? Well, they go back to back, right? I mean, one's facing this way, the other's facing that way. You just supernaturally know. I mean, no one told you to do this. Your parents didn't tell you. You didn't read it in a book. You just know. She's angry. I'm angry. We're facing opposite ways. And there are some unwritten rules in that situation. As Pastor Craig Rochelle says, no part of your bodies are allowed to touch. So if her toe drifts into enemy territory and touches your toe, you yank your toe back. You're like, you're not getting any toe tonight. You want to play with a toe? You play with your own toe. No toe for you. And even though there is a three-inch gap between the two of you, it feels like a three-mile wide gap. In fact, some of us came to church today and you would say, you know what, I don't know if there's any hope for our marriage. I cannot imagine laughing with that person again. I can't imagine going on a date. I can't imagine loving them or feeling loved by them ever again. And you think that your only hope for happiness is to get unhooked and to end the marriage. And if you ask some of your friends about this, some of them will say, do it. I mean, you deserve to be happy. And my guess is that advice sounds pretty good to you right about now. But I want to read you something that Jesus said in Matthew 19. And if you're someone who's gone through a divorce in your life, I want you to know I'm going to talk directly to you a little bit later in the message. But for those of you who are married, I want you to try to detach yourself from what our culture says about marriage and what you deserve and, and what you need to be happy. And I want you to hear the power of Jesus' words in a fresh way. Because at one point, these religious leaders come up to Jesus and they ask him a question that's still very relevant for us today. Is a man allowed to divorce his wife? And here's Jesus' answer in part. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He then goes on to say, since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them. For God has joined them together. He says what God has joined together. That means that you didn't just meet on a blind date. You didn't just meet online. You didn't just see each other across the room and walk up and say, is your last name Campbell's? Because you're looking mm-mm good. <laughs> if you're single, that was my gift to you. Okay. If you're a 20-year-old guy, you should have written that down succeeds every time, I'm telling you, okay? Use it. Uh, he says what God has joined together. That may have what happened on the surface, but the word joined here refers to a complete union. It's a two becoming one. In fact, when this word is used elsewhere in the Greek New Testament, Greek is what the New Testament was originally written in, the word for joined refers to intercourse. 
It's one of the reasons that God reserves sex for marriage. It's not just a momentary good feeling. It's a sacred act of two becoming one. One spiritually, physically, and emotionally. By the way, when you got married, that's what you signed up for. You stood before God and before your friends and your family, and you made some vows. And one of those vows, in part, was in sickness and in health, I'm yours. And when you said those words, it didn't matter if you were young and you just met a year ago and you were infatuated with each other and the air was filled with Chanel number five, or if you were been married for 25 years and you were old and the air was filled with Ben Gay. You promised. You said, I'm not going anywhere. I am yours. Now, some of you hear that and you think, okay, yeah, I did say that then. And I meant it when I sent it. I mean, I really did. I wanted to grow old with that person, truly. But let me just tell you, they changed. We changed, and we just don't love each other anymore. Or you might say, you know, I don't want to get unhooked. I don't want to end the marriage, but I don't want to stay in this marriage as it is. And I could see why someone would feel that way. Which is why the question I want to answer today is this. How do you stay hooked? And I believe that all throughout the Twin Cities, and for those of you watching online, God can use this message to bring a healing into your marriage. You say, there's no hope for us. Our marriage is dying. It's dead. Jesus Christ rose back to life. And he can bring your marriage back to life as well. You say, you know what? We've just started to drift apart from each other. Last year was kind of a hard year, and, and I just don't feel close to them. I'm telling you, God does some of his best work in a situation like that, but it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work, and it's going to take at least two specific action steps, the first one of which is make your marriage a top priority. Now, I'm not saying you need to make it a priority over your relationship with God, but whether you're married or whether you're single, you need to consider this. Make your marriage a top priority. Look at what marriage expert Kevin Lehman has to say about this. He says, marriage has no automatic pilot. You can't flick on a switch and lean back and forget about it. You have to stay at the controls, making adjustments, making it work. Every day you have to decide to love your mate. I think this quote explains why a lot of marriages are unfulfilling or struggling at times. It's because we're on autopilot. When it comes to our career, we're driving that plane. When it comes to our kids, we're monitoring every sleepover, we're checking every report card. But our marriage, not so much. We just think that will kind of take care of itself, but it doesn't. In fact, I want to share with you a verse from the Bible that even if you're not a Christian, even if you haven't read the Bible or come to church much, you're going to recognize this phrase. You've probably heard it in popular culture, but my guess is that you've never equated it to marriage. It's pretty profound when you do. Here's the verse, Galatians 6, 7. You will always reap what you sow. What you are reaping in your marriage right now is a direct result of what you've been sowing into your marriage. So if you're in a season where you've kind of put your marriage on autopilot, and we all do that from time to time, by the way, then you're going to reap a marriage that feels like it's on autopilot. It's going to feel distant or apathetic. Conversely, if you're sowing time, energy, attention, thoughtfulness into your marriage, then you're going to reap a marriage that's filled with those as well. In fact, not only is it true that you reap what you sow, it's also true that you reap where you sow. Let me try to explain this to you. 
If I were to plant an apple tree over here, would I get an orange tree over there? Well, no, because you reap where you sow. In the same way, if all of my time, energy, and passion goes towards basketball, I'm going to become a great basketball player. But if my time, energy, and passion goes towards golf, then I'm not going to become a great basketball player. I'm most likely going to become a great golfer because you reap where you sow. Now let's apply this to our marriage. If the greatest amount of your time, energy, and attention goes towards a hobby, your career, or your kids, will you reap a great marriage? The answer is pretty simple. It's no. But I wonder if this is where some of us are at today. When my wife Sarah and I were first married, I don't think she realized how much I like sports. I would go to tennis practice, I'd take a shower, go pick her up for dinner, and then I'd drop her off and go play basketball with my roommates or something. And all she saw was the date. She didn't realize how I was spending my other time. And quite honestly, at some points, it was a blind spot for me. I realized this one Sunday afternoon, Sarah came downstairs, and it was this beautiful fall day, and so she goes, hey, let's, let's get out and enjoy the weather. Let's go for a walk, let's go for a bike ride, what do you want to do? And, and I said, oh, you know, that's, that sounds great, but the, the Lions are playing the Browns right now on TV, and uh, Jason Hansen, the kicker from the Lions, he's on my fantasy football team. And I feel like I kind of need to be here for him and support him through this and, and cheer him on. <laughs> I, I, maybe later. And as Sarah walked upstairs, I thought to myself, did I just turn my wife down so I could watch the Lions play the Browns? Like the two worst franchises in NFL history, but I was glued to that TV. Now, your thing might not be fantasy football or sports, but what about when hunting or golf gets in the way of your marriage? What about when girls' weekends away or scrapbooking or something like that? Now, don't get, hear me clearly here. Hobbies are not necessarily evil, and they're also not necessarily detrimental to your marriage. In fact, a weekend away to hunt and golf can be a great break from time to time. But here's what I am asking. If the greatest amount of your time, energy, and attention goes towards a hobby, your career, or your kids, is that going to lead to a great marriage? The answer to that is no. I was talking to a couple recently that was in counseling. And they were having some marital issues, and their counselor was taking them back to their parents and their childhood to try to see how that was affecting their current marital struggles. And I asked them this question. I said, how much time do you guys spend together? They said, well, you know, we got kids, and we're in different activities and all that kind of thing, and so we have to sit down and figure out our schedule, and we try to go to those events together. We've got some family things with his family, her family, you know, you know that kind of stuff. I said, no, 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 how much time do the two of you spend with each other, just the two of you? And you could tell that it was hardly ever. They said, I can't remember the last time we went out to dinner with each other or just sat down and talked to the two of us. Now, could their parents and their upbringing be affecting their marriage? Sure. But let's not overcomplicate this. Their marriage bucket was empty. They had a lot of drains from stress and career and kids and very few fills. And the outcome was predictable. In his book, Marriage Makeover, author George Kenworthy tells a similar story. He was counseling a couple named Greg and Jill, and at one point during their counseling session, Jill turned to Dr. Kenworthy, and she goes, can I just tell you, the issue here is that Greg doesn't love me. And Dr. Kenworthy said, well, wh why do you think that? And she said, I, he just doesn't. He said, well, be more specific. Give me an example. She said, fine, you want an example? A few weeks ago, I was home with our six-year-old and our four-year-old, and it was awful. 
They were making messes. They were fighting. I couldn't clean the messes up fast enough. They were demanding and yelling. She said, all I could think about was I finally get a break when Greg gets home. She said, I heard the garage door going up. Greg pulled into the driveway. And as he walked into the door, my daughter had just spilled the milk that I had given her. So I was down on the floor trying to wipe that up. And our four-year-old son had gotten on top of the dining room table, grabbed onto our chandelier, and was swinging like Tarzan. She said, Greg took one look at me, kind of grunted in my direction, put down his work bag, walked over to his chair, and started texting someone on his phone. Never acknowledged what I was going through, never lifted a finger to help. She said, so yeah, I don't think he loves me or cares about me. Dr. Kenworthy looked at Greg. He said, Greg, do you love your wife? He said, I absolutely do. He said, I remember that day. I was having some conflict with some colleagues at work. We had some clients who were upset with us. I had a mountain of a to-do list, and I just needed one break before I tried to solve another crisis. Now, if you were to ask Greg and Jill, hey, make your marriage a priority, they would say, love to, but don't have the time. Our relationship's about giving each other breaks. He needs a break, I need a break. You take something off my plate, I'll take something off yours. We've got kids and careers, and we don't have time for us. But here's the sad irony. If they continue like that, they may lose their marriage. And if they lose their marriage, their kids are going to lose, their career is going to lose, their financial situation is going to lose. Almost every area of their life is going to lose something. Let me get really practical here with you for just a moment. I encourage couples to adopt a one-by-one-by-one plan. Here's the one-by-one-by-one plan. Spend some time every day, every week, every year connecting with one another. And by connect, I mean face-to-face, not shoulder-to-shoulder. Big difference between those two. Most couples get plenty of shoulder-to-shoulder time. Shoulder-to-shoulder watching your favorite Netflix show. Shoulder-to-shoulder on different computers. Shoulder-to-shoulder is a great way to unwind, but it doesn't take the place of face-to-face. In fact, marriage expert John Gottman found that happy, successful marriages spend on average five hours a week talking to each other. Not watching Netflix, talking to each other, on a walk, having coffee, sitting down at a table. Here's the one-by-one-by-one plan. Try to find 15 to 20 minutes every day to connect. This doesn't have to be deep. It's just what was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Just a connection point. Then, every week, try to find a three- or four-hour block to get away just the two of you. And you don't even have to get a babysitter to do this. You can just simply do this after the kids go to bed. If you're our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, you can go to Sam's Club with your wife and call that a date, right? That's sketchy to me, but whatever. You might be able to get away with that. Then third, every year, try to plan a two or three days away, just the two of you. Not with another couple, not with your family, just the two of you. And you don't have to break the bank to do this, but you do have to plan it and you do have to prioritize it. You have to make your marriage a top priority. It's the first way to stay hooked. Second way to stay hooked is this. You've got to eliminate the D word. Let me share with you one of the most powerful things that my wife and I have ever done. It's one of the smartest decisions we ever made. When we got married, we looked at each other and we made a vow to one another. We said, we are not going to utter the D word. We're not going to threaten it. We're not going to go, well, if you feel that way, then well, why don't we just get a divorce then, huh? You just want a divorce. Is that what you want? We, we just don't do that. 
We don't think about it. We don't threaten it. It's off the table. Now, I realize that there are some of you who have gone through a divorce. And in some cases, that was for a biblical reason. There was an affair or physical abuse. Or maybe the other person just left. And you didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter. And again, I'm talking to married people right now. But if you're married and you eliminate the D word, here's what this does. It puts you in a predicament. You are either going to be happily married or unhappily married. Those are your two choices. And let me tell you how motivating it is when those are your two choices to be in the happily married category. Here's what a lot of couples do. They also give themselves two choices, but here's the two choices they give themselves. Either I'm going to be miserable and married or I'm going to be happy and divorced. In their brain, that's what they think. And so it's no wonder then that 50% of couples choose to get unhooked and to end the marriage. Whenever I talk to someone, they say, you know, I just want to get a divorce because I want to be happy. I always ask them, what if there is a third option? What if you could stay married and be happy at the same time? Here's a phrase that I hope that you'll remember. Your marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. Your marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. You can decide to spend money on a new boat or on a counselor. I was talking to a couple one time. They said, well, we don't have time. We don't have money to see a counselor. I said, you just bought a brand new boat. Sell the boat and use the money for counseling. It's a better payoff for you right now. You decide. You decide if you're going to read a marriage book or if you're going to go on Facebook. You decide. You can decide to be more forgiving. You can decide to be less judgmental and demanding. You can decide to pray for your marriage and pray for your spouse every day. You decide. But see, what a lot of couples say is, well, fine, we, you know, what we didn't decide was the fact that we fell out of love. We just don't love each other anymore. We, we, we fell in love, and then now we've fallen out of love, and there was just nothing we could do about that. Getting a divorce because you fell out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. Why don't you fill it back up again? In fact, when the Bible uses the word love, it's not this ooey-gooey feeling. It's a verb. It's an action. If you would start to love your spouse and commit loving actions, then the feelings might follow. As I mentioned a little bit ago, I want to speak directly to those of you who are divorced for just a moment. And my prayer throughout this message is that you wouldn't feel judged, but that you would, God would bring a healing into your spirit. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I sat down with a couple that's been leading our divorce care ministry here at Lionel Lakes for 19 years. They've been through a divorce themselves. They know what this is like. They're now successfully remarried, have an incredible relationship. By the way, if you have been through a divorce, you got to go to divorce care. It's one of the best things we offer. It just started last week. There's still plenty of time to jump in. Go on our website and find out more information at your campus. But I asked this couple, I said, if you were talking to someone who had just been through a divorce, what would you say to them? They gave me four things, and I was writing as fast as I could. Even if you just know someone who's been through a divorce, this will help them. The first thing they said was this. Use this time to begin, renew, or strengthen a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, when you go through a divorce, it is a time of life where you can feel very broken. And God does some of his best work in broken people. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, 
What if you prayed and said, God, come close. I want to draw close to you this year. And then you begin to read the Bible and spend time with God and get to know him. Never a better time to allow God to comfort you and speak to you in your life. They said, if you've started to drift away from God, what a time to come back to him. It's the time to begin, renew, or strengthen a relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, they said, it's going to get better. And I found this so hopeful. They said, on the first night of class, you can see people are sad. Some of them are kind of bitter and angry. Many of them feel lonely. They said, by the third or fourth week, there's laughter. People are making plans to go to church with each other. They're forming friendships. They're forming small groups. They said, as sad as you might feel right now, as angry, as bitter, as betrayed, as lonely as you may feel right now, when you turn to Jesus Christ, it is going to get better. Third thing they said was you have to find somebody else to help. And they told me, they said, you have no idea how hard it is when you're going through a divorce to think about another person. But if you will find another person to help, it will actually help you. They said it's a great time to start serving in church. Use this to help lead another person to faith in Christ. Let God turn your pain into a purpose. And then number four, they said you need to self-reflect. Too many couples skip this step. They just rush into the next relationship because they go, you know what, I want to feel loved again. My self-confidence is a little down and this person likes me and, and they're building me up and this feels so good. They said, don't rush. Take a year to self-reflect. Reflect on what was my part in this failed marriage. Too many couples skip this step. It's why 75% of second marriages end in divorce and 80% of third marriages end in divorce. Because they never took the time to reflect and figure out what does God want to do in my life as a result of this situation. And then they said this to me, and I don't know who needs to hear this today. But they said, if you feel like you are alone, and some of us feel that way right now, you feel like you're alone. They said, you're not. Jesus Christ is with you. I was talking to a woman a few weeks ago, and she came up and she said, you know, my husband's an alcoholic, but he won't admit it. He won't go to counseling, he won't come to church, and he's a bad example for our kids, what should I do? And I talk to so many people who are in situations like that. My wife and I have a good friend where there's an addiction involved and promises to change and they don't change and there's an inability to change and it's such a hard situation to be in. And part of what I try to remind people of who are in that situation is I say this, nothing is impossible with God. You may have to live apart for a period of time you shouldn't enable addictive or poor behavior in their life in any way. But nothing is impossible with God. Start to pray that God would do a miracle in your life and in your marriage. Look at what it says in Galatians 6, verse 9. He says, don't get tired of doing what is good. I talk to people all the time and they'll say, you know, why do I have to be the one who answers his or her anger with a gentle response? Why do I have to bring the kids to church? Why do I have to be the one who's doing what's good? Don't get tired of doing what's right. And then he says, don't get discouraged. But why do they have such a good marriage? Why is my marriage, why did I get put in this hard situation? He says, don't get discouraged. And then he says, don't give up. Don't give up. Why? He says, for you will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. Years ago, the University of Chicago conducted a study of married couples. 
And they found that between 61 and 62% of people who are married are in the happily married category. Which is surprising because when you look at our culture, you wouldn't think that. It's kind of the joke that your bachelor party is your last night of freedom and, you know, the ball and chain of the wife kind of thing. But when you talk to people, 61 to 62% say, I'm actually very happy in my marriage. Here's the surprising part and the part of this study that made it famous. They looked at the other 40% who were saying, I'm not happy in my marriage right now. And they studied them over a five-year period of time. And what they found was if those people would stay in their marriage for five years, two-thirds of them said, we are now happily married. Just think about that. What if you are the two-thirds? What if today you say, you know what? I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to give up. We're going to work at this marriage. We're going to make it a top priority. We're going to eliminate the D word. And we're going to see what God does over the next five years. And what if five years from now, you looked back on your life and you said, wow, look at what God did. Look at the blessing he poured out in my kid's life. Other couples are struggling in their marriage and they look to us for inspiration. And look at the history that I have with my spouse. We got through some really hard times. I wasn't even sure I loved them anymore or felt close to them, but we made it. We stuck by each other. We kept our vows. We didn't give up. And now we are very happily married. Friends, you could be in that two-thirds. It's going to take some work. going to take some effort. It's going to take making your marriage a top priority. But God can work in your life. Let's all stand together and pray that God would do that in our marriages. Lord, I pray for the couples who are here today and got a great marriage, but sometimes it just feels like they're drifting apart a little bit or not connecting. I pray that they can have a really great conversation, find some time for each other, and really just begin to hit the reset button and get back on track. That they would encourage each other, that they would lift each other up, that they would pray for each other, and that you would work in their marriage. God, I especially pray for those couples who came to church today and feel like there is no hope and that the only hope for them to be happy is to end this thing. God, I pray that they would see the power in not giving up, the power in both of them turning to you and praying and asking for you to work a miracle in their marriage. God, you can do the impossible, and I have seen marriages that were impossible get turned around by your power, but it's going to take both people committing to you, submitting to you, and trying to do their very best to love their spouse in the way that you've called them to. But God, I pray that you would do that for them. I pray that this weekend's message would be a start, and that five years from now, they would look back and they would go, we were the two-thirds, we are very happily married today. God, what you have joined together, let no one separate. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.